I originally thought I was going to do something on anger, and I decided to split it into two parts. And so part of what I'm going to talk about this morning has to do with our tongue, controlling our tongue. And so we're going to talk from or um, think about the verses in Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 5 through 11. And then I want you to find James chapter 3. So Colossians 3, James 3, Colossians 3, if you're using the Pew Bible, is 984. And if you're looking for James, it's 1012. So Colossians 3 and James 3. Let's stand together as we read God's word. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. James chapter 3 beginning with verse 2. James 3 verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouth of a horse so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest fire is set ablaze by such a small fire. And a tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of a life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursings. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. You may have a seat and let's take a moment to reflect together on God's word. As I started thinking about this um, sermon... I felt like we got to James chapter 3 and got in quicksand. You know, we've been in James chapter 3 for a whole month now. And some of you are like, hey, there's another chapter, Paul. Let's keep on moving, buddy. 
There's more parts of the Bible than just these five, five verses. But, but I feel like for the month of February, we've, we've been undergoing this sort of long, protracted spiritual surgery. We've been exposed by the bright lights of the Word of God, and our uh, capable surgeon is the Apostle Paul. And in the second half of this letter, as we've mentioned before, Paul uh, it has, has told us if we intend to embrace the beliefs of chapter 1 and 2, then we also have to change our behavior. If we're going to embrace the doctrines that he, he spoke of so well in chapter 1 and 2, then it creates a different kind of duty for our lives. Paul uh, is telling us here that if we intend to follow after Jesus, there are these old cancerous habits and practices which must be removed, or as he puts it, they must be put to death. And then if you look in chapter uh, 3, verse 9, Paul changes the picture a little bit in Colossians. Instead of uh, putting something to death, he talks about changing clothes. In other words, if you're going to follow after Christ, you need a whole new wardrobe. Uh, And so he says there's some habits that need to be taken off, and then there's new ones that need to be put on. And probably the best illustration of this from the Bible is in John chapter 11. You might remember that Jesus is moving towards the, um, the time he's in Jerusalem, the cross, the crucifixion, the resurrection. But just before that time, in John chapter 11, he stops in this little town that's two miles outside of Jerusalem. And he visits with these three friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. But he's arrived a little too late, and Lazarus has died, and he's been in the tomb for four days. And it's a very powerful moment, but Jesus arrives at this tomb of his friend Lazarus, and he stands there weeping, and then he makes he has this prayer saying, God, I want to show them your glory by doing something. And he says, Lazarus, come out. Some commentators have said he couldn't say just come out, because everyone would have come out of the tomb. So he's specifically saying, just, just Lazarus right now. Come out of the tomb. And so the tomb had some kind of opening. We're not sure if a stone was rolled across it like you might think. Or a little bit more typically, it sort of dug into the ground and you could kind of scoot into this hole. And then there would be some catacombs. Whatever it was, it must have been an incredible moment. You're standing there and this mummy-wrapped man comes walking or stumbling or sort of crawling out of this tomb. I I can't even imagine the shock of that moment for the people standing around. But as Lazarus comes to the entrance of the tomb, the first thing that Jesus says is, take his grave clothes off. See, Lazarus is alive. He's been saved He's moved from death back into life. He's moved from darkness into light. But he still has these trappings. He still has these wrappings of the old man. And what needs to happen is even though he's alive, some things need to be put off. He needs a new wardrobe. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking to us about here. Peter says the same thing. Listen to this from 2 Peter chapter 1. God's divine power 
has given us everything we need for life and godliness. See, God has raised us and his divine power is now working in us. He's, he's unzipped us and now he's living from the inside out and he's given us this divine power and he's given us everything we need for life and godliness so that we may participate in the divine nature and we can escape the corruption of the world. And then Peter goes on and said, so make every effort to add these things. These are the things Peter is saying. This is what I want you to put on. This is your new wardrobe. Faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, kindness, and love. And then he concludes by saying this. If you possess these qualities in increasing, increasing measure, you will be kept from being ineffective and unproductive. See, Peter's saying, hey, the, the power of sin has been broken by the cross, but there's still the presence of sin in your life. And you need to take some things on and put, take off some old things. And he's saying, if you increase in your measure of putting these things on, you'll be you'll be productive. You'll be effective. Yet so many followers of Christ spend so much of their lives at the edge of the tomb like Lazarus. They've really had a transforming encounter with Christ. They are alive. But they stay wrapped up in their old cloth. They never really get to taking anything off or putting anything on. And they're just not productive. We're not saying you're not alive. We're not saying you're not saved. We're just saying you're ineffective. You're unproductive. Paul says, uh, uh, cast aside the sins which so easily entangle you. You can't make much movement because these, these habits, these old sinful habits, you've never been able to put away. So they're always calling, causing you to, to trip and to stumble and to be unproductive, to be ineffective. And so Paul is exhorting this same thing. If we want to be productive, if we want to be effective in our walk with Jesus, then we need this new wardrobe. And Paul in Colossians has identified sort of as an umbrella three large sections of your wardrobe, so to speak. He's saying there's, you know, there's a lot to attack here, but let's just think about these three big headings. First, sex. Second, money. And third, your mouth. If, if we can sort of get a grasp on these three things, boy, we're going we're gonna to go a long way. We're going to be effective. We're going to be productive. And we've talked about the first two in the last few weeks, sex and money or sexual immorality or covetousness or greed. And then the third is our mouth. It's anger and then what spills out of your mouth. And it's worth just pausing to evaluate if you could go into your closet and say, okay, these are the three big sections, sexual immorality, covetousness, greed, how I think about money, anger, and what comes out of my mouth. For you, which, which part needs the most transformation? Are you, are you really willing to put something to death so you can finally be productive and effective? Well, this morning we're looking at the third area, our mouths, and which I think breaks into two parts. He has this list of these five words, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, and lying. And I don't know that this is exactly how Paul was thinking of it, but 
I'm putting them in these two categories, anger and wrath. Anger is more of a, a seething character trait. Wrath is something happens and you just explode. And then malice, what you say that's degrading, slander, what you say that's diminishing, obscene talk, what you say that's disgusting, and lying, what you say that's deceiving. So I'm putting those things in two different categories, and I'm thinking of them in this way. The, the root of the problem, anger and malice, and then the fruit of that problem, that's what comes out of your mouth. You have anger and malice inside, and what's inside your heart is going to spill out, and it spills out in a number of different ways, and he's listed a few of those. And next week, I want to talk about the root problem of anger, and I found just in trying to study it myself it's very complex it's very deep and very pervasive problem and i need more time to put some of my thoughts together so this week i want to address the fruit of the problem and i want to do that by reviewing this passage in james chapter 3 and as we'll see at the end of the passage in james it's going to lead us back to the root problem which is anger so let's turn to james james is like the apostle paul he's connecting belief with behavior. James takes a very serious view of our tongues. James chapter 1, verse 26. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but he deceives his heart, and this person's religion is worthless. When you read James, you get the feeling that he was just a very blunt preacher. I mean, if you were in his congregation, you're like, man, this guy just takes out the hammer every time. He just he doesn't have a lot of fluff. It's just look, if if you're you think that you you're you don't have to bridle your tongue, you're just deceiving your your heart and you might want to review your religion. Maybe you're not really uh, a, a Christian. It's very strong language. James chapter 3, then, James provides real help in addressing the importance of what comes out of our mouths. Let's look at James chapter 3, verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Now, this is the way I would have thought the verse would have read. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble, he is a perfect man. That's what I would have thought. We all stumble in many ways, but if you don't stumble in any ways, then, then you're perfect. That makes sense. But he doesn't say that. He inserts a little phrase. And notice, notice what he inserts. If anyone does not stumble in what he says. It's a way for James to say your tongue is like a key to holy living. It's the thing that controls the rest of your body. If you can control this one thing, then you've got control of the rest of your body. If you can keep your tongue perfect, then it's a signal, it's a sign that the rest of your body is perfect as well. Listen to how one commentator put it. It's not that a person strong enough to control his tongue is therefore strong enough for every other battle. No, that's not what he's saying. Rather, it's winning this one battle is in itself a winning of all other battles. Think of a switchboard in a church which controls 
individual lights. Each switch controls some area or section of the church. But on the switchboard is a master switch. If you control the master switch, you control all the lights. The person who controls the, t- the tongue controls the master switch to the whole body. So that's what James is saying. We've got this master switch. And if we're going to be able to control that, then we are going to be able to control all other parts. And then James follows verse 2 with his PowerPoint illustration. It's so vivid as he goes through. Look, first of all, he compares it to a bridle and a horse. A horse, an average size horse is 900 pounds. And if you've ever been on top of a big horse, it's pretty scary. He's in control. You don't feel like you're in control. Lots of harm can happen to you if the guy decides to take off all of a sudden. But you've got this one little tiny thing. What is it? It's a bit. It's a perfect name for it. It's this tiny little piece of metal in the horse's mouth. And if you can control that little tiny piece of metal, he can control this entire beast. First PowerPoint from James. The second one is a ship. This huge ship, it's controlled uh, by all kinds of currents and winds. But, but the, on the ship is this one small piece of, a, of equipment, the rudder. It, it controls the entire ship. In World War II, there was a ship called the Bismarck. And the Bismarck was sort of the, the flagship for the German army. And it had just been in a battle in the Atlantic Ocean with the HMS Hood, which is from uh, the British Empire. And it sunk the Hood. And Winston Churchill heard about that. And when he heard that the Bismarck had sunk the HMS Hood, this is what he issued, sink the Bismarck. One simple thing, just let's just sink that ship. The problem was the Bismarck was heading towards pretty safe waters and there was nothing in the royal fleet that could get to the Bismarck until the, before the Bismarck got into these safe waters with the exception of one little small British biplane and the biplane had one single torpedo. And this 84 million pound ship would easily withstand a direct hit by the torpedo. So the biplane operator realized, I got, I've got one shot, and what could I hit on this ship to get it stuck? And what is that? It's the rudder. So he aimed this single torpedo towards the Bismarck. It hit the rudder. It jammed the rudder at a 15-degree angle. And when you have a ship, no matter how big it is, and it's stuck at a 15-degree angle, guess what the ship does? It just sails in a circle. And the Bismarck couldn't move, and then the British... Royal Navy came in and sank the Bismarck. 84 million pounds of equipment, 2,000 men sunk because of a stuck rudder. So Paul is trying to help us see this picture. If you can control this one little thing, you have such incredible power. If you don't control it, you can sink a lot of things. And so James is, is warning us. The tongue is a small member, it, it, but it boasts of great things. It, it possesses a power that's outside of the proportion of itself. And then he goes on. You look in five, verse 5 and verse 6. 
how he says the tongue can create such damage. One small ember can set an entire forest on fire. You know this, you hear the Smokey Bear commercials. Uh, Several years ago, just a few years ago, Onslow County up in the Jacksonville area experienced this uh, 10,000-acre forest fire. And you could smell the smoke in Wilmington. And, of course, they eventually got a handle on it, put it out, and then they tried to determine what started the forest fire, and they determined it was a single gunshot that started this forest fire. And I, I wonder how many of us can recall similar damage from a single gunshot out of our mouth. We just shot it out. And thousands of acres burned because of this one comment. Thousands of acres of emotional damage. Acres of wasted time in your own brain replaying that tape over and over. How did we get there? Why did they say that? What should I have said? Is it true? One, one single comment made a week ago, a year ago, 50 years ago, can just replay in an endless feedback loop because somebody just took one shot. When I was a Young Life leader, we would take kids to camp, and you've got a group of kids in your uh, cabin. Some of them you don't know, and so you're trying to figure out what's a good icebreaker question. And one of the ones I liked was, show us a scar and tell us the story behind the scar. And so this was a great one for guys because, you know, every guy wants to be a hero. And you know the stories they're telling you aren't true, but it's okay. (laughs) Well, I did this and, you know, that bear, you should have seen him. You know, all these kinds of things. So you say, hey, just show us a scar and, and tell us the story behind the scar. Every Everyone here could show a scar. From a tongue that just lanced our soul. You can't see it. I can't roll up my sleeve and show it to you. But you already know. You know the comment. You still feel it. Because it came from somebody that was important or you valued or you loved. And somehow they said something. It's just stuck with you. And it's created this emotional scar. And James is trying to help us understand our words have incredible power. Proverbs twelve eighteen. reckless words pierce like a sword. Reckless words pierce like a sword. We all remember the children's line, sticks and stones may break our bones, but what? Words will never hurt me. You know what that is? That's a lie. I mean, it sounds good. Do, do you ever pick that? Do you ever say that after somebody compliments you? Paul, you're what a wonderful sermon. The sticks and stones may break my bones. No, you, you only said it when somebody hurt you. When somebody actually damaged you, it's, it's sort of the shield that you put up to say, well, that's not going to hurt me. But the, the fact that you're saying it means I'm hurting from that. I wish you hadn't said that. James might have said sticks and stones can only break your bones, but a wrongly placed word can crush a soul. 
So James and the Apostle Paul, they're trying to help us understand this fruit that's coming out of our mouth. It has such power. Small little words, something that said just sort of by the side or maybe directly, it can create a scar. It can create this this difficulty for somebody for the rest of their lives. You know it. You have some of your own. You've probably given some as well. Then listen to how accurate verse 6. He says this, words can set on fire the entire course of a life. The words that shape what you think about yourself, what you think about the world, what you think about God. They're so powerful, often so destructive. And like I said, they, they create a fuel, an endless fuel for you for 20, 30, 40 years to remember these words and to live according to some statement that was said 10 or 20 or 30 years ago. So that's why Paul is insisting, hey, when you, when you, when you get out of the grave, there's some things you need to take off. There's some new habits you need to put on. We don't want to go out and start wounding one another by our slander, by our malice, by our lying, our obscene talk. And notice the, what James says in, in chapter 7, I mean chapter 3, verse 7. He tells us something that we feel like we already know. No human being can tame, tame the tongue. No human being can tame their tongue. And then he goes on, hey, there's all kinds of reptiles and animals and, and humans have been able to tame those things. I mean, you can have a guy play a flute and the snake will come out of the basket. And you can go to the circus and you can find somebody to get an elephant to sit back on its hind legs or a big grizzly bear to, roll, to ride a small bicycle. If you go to SeaWorld, somebody will get on the snout of a killer whale and get thrown up into the water. You can do all those things. But you just can't tame this one thing. No human being has the capacity to control that one thing. It's a restless evil, James says. It's liable to break out at any time. And the reason is because what comes out of our mouth is just the fruit. It's not the root. We can't just control this this is just the fruit. It's the projection of something, and it's the projection of something that's coming out of our hearts. And you know this from your own experience, but you know it from, from Jesus' words. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, see our words uh, expose our hearts. The, our words are an overflow of our hearts. The, our words tell us where we're coming from. When, when I went to Furman University back in 19, in the early 80s, I met this beautiful, blonde-headed, blue-eyed girl. Her name was Nancy. She became my wife. She was from 30 minutes outside of New York City and about 30 minutes north of Newark. On her same hall was another girl, not quite as beautiful, but awfully beautiful, blonde hair, blue eyes. Her hometown was pumpkin was Pumpkin Town, South Carolina. Okay, so you got New York City, northern New Jersey, and Pumpkin Town. How would you tell where they're from? They just had to open their mouth and you could tell. Just immediately. You could tell where they were coming from by how they spoke. 
And how you speak tells everybody where you're coming from, what's in your heart. You've probably said or heard it said, oh, oh, I didn't mean to say that. And maybe a more accurate phrase was, please forgive me for saying what I meant. See, you say something, you say, oh, I didn't mean to say it. But no, it was in your heart. It came from somewhere. And you could say, just please forgive me for saying what I actually meant in my heart. That's a more accurate statement. Jesus and James and Paul, they're all saying the same thing. They're, they're telling us that you can see what's in, inside a person by, by listening to their words. And James here, he comes down particularly hard on those who, who stand inside of a congregation and lift their hands. Praise the Lord. And then when they leave and they get in their car or they go home or at their workplace, they use that same tongue that they praise the Lord to destroy someone else made in God's image. He's just scratching his head and he's saying, how can that be, brothers? I mean, it's just not possible. How can you be praising the Lord with this, with this instrument of your tongue and then you get in your car and you, you degradate your wife or your children or your neighbor or the person that you work with? James is pointing out the people who would say, I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and mind, but I curse my neighbor because they're not like myself. You read these verses and you get the sense that James is just scratching his head. And then he says, you know, is it possible for a spring to bring forth both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree produce olives? And obviously the answer is no. And then so he's just saying, how can you follow after God and curse those made in his image? The two simply, they just don't go together. And I think this is precisely why in Colossians chapter 3, Paul has what I think is this unusual verse. It seems out of place to me. He's, he's talking about things that you have to put to death, things that you have to put on. And then in verse 12, he's, he's going to say, okay, well, let's move on to the things that you put on. And then in, but verse 11, he says, here there is not a Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free. It seems like an odd verse to me. It seems like it's out of place. But I think what Paul is saying, inside the church, there's going to be all kinds of people. And he's trying to say inside the church that there can't be any prejudice, there can't be any racism, there can't be any nationalism, there can't be any discrimination, there can't be any economic or ethnic snobbery. You simply can't be praising the Lord and looking to the right or left of you at these people who are different and you're saying they're not good enough. He's trying to say all these kinds of people, they all are coming to the Lord and you can't have any issues with those people as they raise their hand and praise the Lord. You can't look down on them. So, so our words give away the condition of our heart. They, they tell us where we're coming from. And so next week we'll, we'll talk about the root problem and that's anger. But this week... We can examine the fruit. So what comes out of your mouth? Do you degrade, diminish, deceive? What about obscene talk or coarse joking? Do you gossip, 
Do you nag? Are you critical? Do your words pierce like a sword? Are they reckless? Are they uncharitable? Are they false? And it's not just the words that roll out of your tongue. It's the words that are formed in your mind. It's not just what you say. It's what you think. Because all this is welling up from a heart that needs to be addressed. And we'll try to address that next week. But this week, you think about the fruit and guarding your mouth. Let's pray together. Lord, this is just a a mighty challenge because James says no man can conquer can conquer the tongue. We're grateful that we are now alive in Christ, that the power of sin is broken, even though the presence of sin is there. But now, because you've unzipped us and you've put your Holy Spirit in us now, uh, we have a new heart. We can begin to wrestle with these things. But, uh, Lord, first of all, we just have to see them. And I pray that people would see what comes out of their mouth. They, they wouldn't start by justifying themselves, by saying, well, you just don't know the person I live with. And beginning to justify their own behavior, would they just see it for what it is? It, it, it is a heart that's bent on anger because things aren't going their way and what spills out of this mouth is destructive. Help us to understand the power of our words, both for cursing and for blessing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.